How sad it is to think of those that uh, know him not. Well, you uh, probably would be confused and uh, perhaps disappointed if I said my message today is going to be the worst message I've ever preached. (laughs) But it's true. Whenever I say worst, I'm not talking about the presentation. Uh, I hope that's not the worst it's ever been. Uh, And I'm not talking about my attitude. Uh, I've got to say I've preached some sermons. uh, Hopefully all of them were many years ago with a pretty bad attitude. But I'm talking about the subject matter. And you know, whenever we think about unpleasant subjects, there's a lot of different things, you know, that we, we just don't like to talk about. For, for some people, it's age. They don't want to think about age. Uh, just, you know, we'd like to forget that. Uh, for others, it, uh, it might be sin. We, we just don't want to talk about sin. Not our sin, anyway. Uh, For others, it would be disease. I mean, you know, nobody wants to sit around and talk about cancer or heart disease or things like that. And for some, of course, it would it would be death. You know, in the mind of some people, maybe the most unpleasant subject that they can think. But there is one subject that stands head and shoulders above everything else. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter number 20. Revelation chapter 20, and I will meet you there in just a few moments. Last week I mentioned the fact that uh, no one ever ceases to exist. You know, that's a real shock to some people. They've they've never really thought about that uh, because a lot of folks think, you know, well, I'm just going to die and that's the end of it. But the fact of the matter is, everyone is facing a future forever. Everybody. Every person is going to be conscious forever. No one is ever going to cease knowing, feeling, and desiring. And that's an important fact. It is a crucial truth that we need to get a hold of or let it get a hold of us. While I'm thinking of it... uh, I was talking about eternity last week and uh, the impact that it's had on my heart and my thinking of late. And instead of putting away those sermon notes from last week, I've got them laying on my desk because I plan to do something else with it. And Brother Hamlin, while you're here, and uh, I don't think I've ever made a request like this during the message, but make me a little plaque that just says eternity on it. That's all I want on it. I don't care what kind of wood you use or anything else. Something that will sit on my desk or hang on the wall. Eternity. Because that's what we are all facing. And it's important that we understand it because a lot of folks believe that death ends it all. And if that look, if that's true, then there's nothing to worry about. In fact, that would make death desirable to a lot of people. You know, there's some people that would... Um, For them, death would be a sweet relief because of their suffering. Some people sometimes pray to die. I've talked to a lot of people who said, you know, I'm praying the Lord just go ahead and take me home. 
you know, I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of all of the suffering. They say I'm not going to get any better. I don't have any quality of life. I'm just ready to go home, you see. So death would be a relief. And they would welcome that moment when all of their suffering and all of their grief finally comes to an end. But the fact is, death doesn't end it all. If you're one of those that believe that death ends it all, that there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no awareness of anything, I've got a question for you. What if you're wrong? Think about it. What if, what if you're wrong? Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if you knew, like many of us do, that we have a peace in our heart knowing that we're going to heaven when we die? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had that kind of a peace, that kind of a hope in your heart? Well, you can. But first of all, you have to face the facts. You can't afford to just ignore all of the facts and hope everything's going to end well because I'm telling you right now, it won't. If that's what you do, it's not going to end well. You need to consider the consequences of being wrong. And the best way to do that is to see what God says about the moment when we are forced to face Him. Revelation chapter number 20. And this is the very worst message subject that I can imagine. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is what the Bible terms as the great white throne judgment. And there's several things that we need to understand about this because every unsaved person is going to be there. Every person who has ever lived on this earth that is not trusted in Jesus Christ will be there in that day. The first bit of information that we need to know above everything else is who is the judge Now, he's not identified here by name at least, but the Bible tells us the judge is Jesus Christ. Over in the Gospel of John chapter 5 verse 22 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Verse 27, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Verse 30, he says, I judge and my judgment is just. Now, if in denying Him, or let's say ignoring Him, you think you'll never have to do anything with Him, you're wrong. You might reject Him at the moment, 
But there's coming a time when the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's an undeniable, inescapable fact that the judge in that day is Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being in the place of those who have said, I want nothing to do with that man? Can you imagine being in the place of those religious people who say that, well, he was a good man, but he wasn't really God. And by the way, it might surprise you what some religious denominations believe about the person of Christ. But in that day, they're going to find themselves judged by the very one they misjudged. The one they rejected, the one that they ignored, in that day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You say, well, I'll never confess Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Maybe not in this life, but there's coming a time when you will. You'll realize how wrong you've been. So the judge is Jesus Christ. So who are the judged? Well, look at verse number 12 again. And it says here, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Now, get this. This judgment has nothing to do with Christians whatsoever. You see, we don't have to answer for our sins, never. Whether it's the past sins, the present sins, the future sins, they're all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven once for all, paid in full. It is finished. We never have to face our sins. Our sins do not affect our relationship with God. It doesn't change the fact that we are the children of God. Now certainly, even as Christian people, we're not perfect. There are times that we're going to sin. But all of those sins have been atoned for by the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, you mean you're not going to have to face a judgment? Oh yes, we have to face a judgment. But we'll stand there at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're judged. That's where our works, whether good, bad, or whatever, they're going to be judged. But it has nothing to do with whether or not we're saved. It has nothing to do with whether we're getting into heaven or not. Our judgment has to do with our works, and it is our time for rewards, you see. That's the time that we're going to be rewarded or deprived of rewards that we could have won as a result of what we've done for Christ since we've been saved. So that's where the, the Christian is going to be judged. But the great white throne judgment are talking about those that are spiritually dead, those that are separated from God, those that have never put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we had time to read this entire chapter, you'd see the one of the great benefits of being a child of God is that we are going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. We refer to that as the millennial, the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Somebody, you know, everybody's worried about the world going to blow up and all of a sudden it's all going to be gone. Oh, no, I know it's going to last another 1,007 years. There's no doubt about that. You drop all the bombs you want. 
but it's going to last another thousand and seven years because there's a seven year tribulation period. If Jesus came today, a seven year tribulation period would start, and then after that would be the thousand year reign of Christ. Think about that. We're going to rule and reign with Him during that thousand year period here on this earth. We might have the future governor of Texas here. Uh, you, we don't know. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but we're going to judge angels. We're going to rule and reign here on this earth. And what we do is going to be dependent upon our works, the things that we've done for the Lord, you see. That's why it's important that we understand that salvation is not just a matter of getting your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and going to heaven whenever you die and walking on the street of gold and so forth. It has to do with our eternal inheritance that we're going to receive in that day. But after the millennial reign, when it's all over, if you'll read the verses earlier in this chapter, you'll see in that day that, that Satan who has been, who has been subdued and in chains for a thousand years is going to be released. He's going to muster an opposition against the Lord. He's going to be destroyed and his followers. And then comes this final judgment where those that are unsaved appear at the great white throne judgment of God. This is for their final sentence. Remember, they are condemned already. If you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're condemned already. It's not a matter of someday you standing before God and God thumbing through the pages of a book and finding out whether you've got enough good works to outweigh your bad works and maybe you'll get into heaven. No, you're condemned already. And if you die like that, if you die like that, you will die in your sins and you appear before this judgment here for your final sentence. And they're all going to be there. Notice he said the small and the great. Whether it's the president or a prostitute, a bum or a banker, it doesn't make any difference who it is. All of those down through the ages, you know, that have become leaders of nations and all of those that have amazed fortunes and so forth, whether it's the small or the great, there's no escape, there's no exceptions. This judgment is not to decide if they're saved or whether they're lost, but determine the degree of their punishment. Think about that. Somebody says, well, you're going to hell. It's exactly the same for everyone. No, not quite. Some are beaten with many stripes and some are beaten with few stripes. Just that there is, there is a difference in the stars, in their magnitude, the brightness of the stars. There is a difference in the rewards that children of God get. There's some going to get more rewards than others. And when it comes to the punishment of the wicked, there are some that are going to be beaten with many stripes and some with fewer. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior and you die, let me tell you, you're going to be there in that day. He's going to raise you up. Notice he said, death, the sea gave up the dead that was in them. You think about some of you been on cruises, you know, and you go out across the, the ocean or the Gulf or whatever it is, and you might be surprised to know how many people up around my hometown area here the other day, there was, what, 13, I think, drowned in that accident there. And sometimes bodies are never recovered. But let me tell you, they're going to be recovered in that day. 
I mean, every molecule of their bodies, God, God, in some way or another, God's going to bring it all together, and they're going to stand in a bodily form before God in that day. The sea gave up the dead. Death, that is, those that have died and those that have been buried, will give up the dead. Hell will give up the dead. That is, those that have already died, their soul is already in hell, and they're going to be taken out of hell and brought before this great white throne judgment. The judge is Jesus. Those that are judged in that day will be those that have never trusted Him as their Lord and Savior. But I want you to focus on the judgment Itself, And whenever we look through these verses here, we see this great scene brought before us. I, the, um, I, my mind can't even imagine that. This great white throne with God Himself there on that throne. And then there's the godless being summoned from the sea and from the grave and from hell itself. And then the grave search through those books is one by one the guilty are sentenced to their final destiny. Well, what about the defendants? Well, every unsaved person that ever lived is going to be there. You know, we, we, we think of injustice in this world and we think of those who, you know, by means of a prejudiced jury or those that, that maybe got a high dollar lawyer in some way, you know, they they got out of it. Probably you got some names probably bouncing around in your mind of people that you feel escaped the punishment that they deserve. But let me tell you, they haven't escaped anything. Somebody says, well, it's such a shame. They did this and they got by with that. No, no, look, they're not going to get by with it. Because in that day, justice is going to be served for every Christ rejecter. Every single one of them. My, you think about all of those that have lived down through the, down through the ages. And if you go over and read what Daniel wrote about this, that's very similar as he described the same thing. He said 10,000 times 10,000. He said that because in the Greek language, 10,000 was, uh, was an expression of an infinite number. 10,000 times 10,000. And, you know, that's why we don't have any problem in saying that the vast majority of people have never been saved. And that's been true throughout history. God's people has always been in the minority. But in that day, every single unbeliever is going to be there as a defendant. And then there are the documents that are involved in this. The first one we know of is the Bible itself. Over in John chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Listen to this. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Somebody says, well, it doesn't make any difference what you believe just as long as you're sincere. You know, just as long as you're sincere. No, look, you better believe the truth. And the only place you're going to find the truth is in the Word of God. And this book, you can, you can mock it, you can reject it or whatever, but you're going to be judged by this book, everything that is in it. That is the basis for our judgment. But then notice that, that he also mentions a book of deeds here. He speaks about 
their works. In, in, in other words, that they're going to have to face the charges that are brought against them. And as I said, this is going to determine the degree of their punishment, some suffering worse than others. But I want you to think about this. No unsaved person can do any works that are acceptable with God. God's going to have a record of it there. The Bible says even in the plowing of the wicked is sin. You can't do anything for God until you receive Christ as your Savior. There will be no good works in the ledger for them because the Bible says there is none good. No, not one. There's no, no one good by nature. And God's going to have a record of it there. You're going to think, well, you've done something in your lifetime that is going to merit God's attention and gain God's award. And God's going to show you from the book of works there that there are no deeds recorded that's going to testify on your behalf. But then notice there's another book. And this is the book of life. This is the book that contains all of the names of those who are saved. Now, whether you believe that all of those names of everyone born was recorded in a book of life before the foundation of the world, and the names are taken out as people reject Christ, or if you believe that their names are recorded in it at the moment they receive Christ, whatever you believe about that, does it really make a bit of difference because of the fact that if your name isn't there, you're not going to go to heaven? If your name's not there, there's no evidence of life. So why in the world would he open the book of life there to those unsaved people? Why? Well, for one thing, because a lot of those folks think their name's going to be in there. You remember over in Matthew chapter number 7, and a lot of folks are depending on religion to get them to heaven. And here in Matthew chapter number 7, some of the, some of the people that will have the biggest surprise of their life are going to be those who thought they were saved and are not. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Well, somebody says that. If we're going to be saved, we've got to do His will. Do you know what His will is? You say, well, yeah, I've got to do works. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to give my tithe. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. No, the will of God, according to John 6.40, is that you believe on His Son. That's the will of God. You can't do anything for God until you've trusted His Son. So notice, He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say, not notice, not just a few, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name, and in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, this book of life is open as evidence to confirm the fact that these people are not saved. You say they'll argue about being saved. They'll tell you they are. Remember, they said, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this? And haven't we done that? And haven't we done the other? I mean, you know, surely if anybody's saved, we're saved. We've done many wonderful works. Notice, they said, in your name. We're not talking about Muslims now. We're not talking about Buddhists now. We're not talking about other religions now. These people did whatever they did in His name. 
Just because a denomination uses the name of Jesus and talks about heaven and talks about God doesn't mean they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people are not only religious, but they would be considered a part of what we call Christendom. A part of the Christian religion. That's the way the world would look upon them, and that's the way they consider themselves. Now notice the Lord doesn't say that you used to be saved and now you're not, as though they could lose their salvation. He said, notice, I never knew you. There's never been a time, never been a moment, never been one second whenever I knew you. Never a time when you had a relationship with me. Never a time when you were a child of God. Never departed from me. Well, those are the defendants. Well, what about the defense? You know, anytime you have a trial, you, you have the defendants and you have, have, have a defense. Have people come and testify on your behalf. But when it comes to defense at that great white throne judgment, there, there is no defense. In fact, Isaiah said, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Now he's talking about the future conversion, spiritual conversion of unbelieving nations. And he says, the king shall shut their mouths at him. They're not going to have anything to say in that day. Whenever the charges are all laid up and the evidence is there, the books have been opened and the book of life is open, and their name is not there. And they hear Him say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They will not have one word of protest. Not one of them can say, This is unfair. I deserve better than this. All of them are guilty, and they know they're guilty. There's no defense. And then comes the departure. Whenever I said at the beginning, this is the worst message I've ever preached, this is what I'm talking about. Because it doesn't get any worse than this. In that day where they are banished from God, notice, their departure is from God. Remember there in Matthew, he said, depart from me. You know, it wouldn't be so bad going to heaven if someone took away the gates of pearl and the street of gold and the walls of jasper and the twelve layer foundation of stone. If all of that was absent, nothing but a gravel road and a barbed wire fence. If that's all there was, if Jesus is there, that's heaven. Amen. It's His presence that makes all of the difference in the world. And to think about God Himself saying, depart from me. That, that's the most horrible thing imaginable. Depart from me. But then notice... This departure is not only from God, but notice it's into a lake of fire. And this is the second death. You see, if you've been born twice, you only die once. But if you've been born once, you're going to die twice. In other words, if you've had a physical birth and a spiritual birth, you're just going to die one time. And that's a physical death. 
you're going to be resurrected. But if you've only been born one time, that is physically, and you've never been born spiritually, you're going to have two deaths. You're going to die physically, and also this second death, as it's called, which is your final sentence where you are banished from the presence of God. Notice he says, into a lake of fire. Of all of the sermons I've ever preached, this has got to be the very saddest sermon imaginable. I would never choose to preach this just given the option because I can think of a lot of things I'd rather preach. But I preach it because, number one, I'm obligated to preach the Word of God. I have an obligation to God to preach the whole Word, not just the parts of it that I like. But secondly, I have an obligation to preach it out of concern for those that are lost. You know, there have been a lot of preachers that I've admired over the years. I have a picture. I've even got a bobblehead doll of Spurgeon. Some Tim brought me in my office. I don't know if any other preacher's got a bobblehead doll of Spurgeon, but I do. But a lot of the preachers that I admire, most of them dead, some of them are still living. I admire them. But there's only one preacher that I really want to be as much like as possible, and that's Jesus. No preacher could have a better role model than him. Do you realize that Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven? Not many preachers today following that pattern. You'll hear a hundred sermons about heaven for every one you hear about the subject of hell and of judgment. Twenty-seven books in the New Testament. There's 264 chapters in the New Testament. 234 times in those 264 chapters, the Bible speaks about a place of hell and eternal judgment. Think about that. 234 times in those 27 little books of the Bible. He calls it here a lake of fire. And as you go through the New Testament, you see it described in different ways. In one place it's called a place of torment. Another place calls it a place of darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire is not quenched, where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up day and night forever and ever. Hell is real, folks. It is a place of untold suffering. If we had time to just go through and look at the examples in the Bible, you could see very clearly that God tells us that hell is worse than a maimed body. It tells us that it's worse than being buried alive. Worse than any wrath ever. We're talking about untold suffering beyond anything that our mind can imagine. But there's not only untold suffering, there's our ungodly associates. Look in chapter 21 of Revelation in verse 8. Notice that he says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth forever. Notice, with brimstone, which is the second death. Talking about ungodly associates. Hitler is there. 
Mussolini is there. All of those Christ rejectors down through the ages are going to be there, and you're going to be right there with them. Somebody says, well, I don't mind going to hell because I have a lot of friends there. No, you won't have any friends there. You won't find anyone in hell that wants to see you there. Ungodly associates, untold suffering, and then there are unsatisfied desires. Remember I said at the beginning, we never cease to exist. We never stop being conscious. We never stop feeling. We never stop desiring things. You say, well, what makes you think that, preacher? Well, turn over to chapter 22 and verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. What's he saying? He's saying the state that we're in when we die is the state we'll be in forever. Now think about that. You think about somebody that is an alcoholic or somebody that is hooked on drugs. And you think about the horrors of, uh, that they go through when, when they're having withdrawals. I'm telling you, I remember visiting a fellow in the psychiatric ward in Springfield, Missouri many years ago that had been hooked on drugs, was hooked on drugs, and he was there trying to get clean and get back on the right track. And he said, preacher, he said, I, I, he said, I drive down the highway, and he said, I look at all of those telephone poles down the highway, and they look like giant hypodermic needles. Everything I see reminds me that I want a fix. I want another fix. He said, I can't stop thinking about it. Can you imagine spending eternity in a lake of fire desiring those things in your heart and not being able to find any satisfaction? Unsatisfied desires. Unending separation. It's not like you will be dismissed from the presence of God for a, a year or a hundred years or a thousand years, but it is for all of eternity. And let me tell you, if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, let me tell you, Christ is your only hope. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. It's not through the church membership. It's not through the baptismal waters. It's not through your good works and generous donations or anything else. It's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life on Calvary so that you might have life. And if you're here this morning and you've been saved, all of this ought to cause you to think about how you're going to spend your life. What you're going to invest your life in. What you ought to be doing. And for those of us that are Christians, we don't have to wonder about what we're supposed to be doing because before Jesus ever ascended back into heaven, as He met there with His followers and He told them as He gave them the Great Commission in Matthew chapter number 28, is to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. And there on the Mount of Ascension, Acts 1 verse 8, just before He lifted off, going back to heaven, He said, but ye shall be My witnesses. Beginning at Jerusalem. Start where you are and go out from there into the whole world. That's what, that's what every Christian ought to be majoring on. 
That's the thing that ought to be of the utmost importance to us. I hope you took time this morning to read the morning manna that I mail out every day. This morning it happened to be a a letter composed by an unsaved person giving their perspective about we Christians. I'm not going to read it, but I hope you did. But basically saying that you Christians claim that there is a real hell and so forth, I don't believe you. And I'm telling you folks, if we'll be honest about it, it's very easy to understand why a lot of unsaved people would not believe that we've got the real thing. How could we have the real thing? How could we, how could we say that we know that we're a child of God and we're going to he- heaven and that hell is awful, it's terrible, you don't want to go there, and then never witness to them about it? Several years ago, there was a severe flood over in south central Mississippi, a place called the Homochitta River or something like that, and Boy, that river was raging, and one fellow started home, and it was raining so hard he couldn't hardly see where he was going. And and uh, before he knew it, he, he had gone off into the river. He said, the bridge was out, and he just went right off into the river, and it was only by the grace of God that some way he got out of that car, he grabbed onto some branches or something, and finally managed to pull himself out of the river And when he did, he went right back up to the highway there and stood there in the middle of the road, waving both arms, trying to stop the cars and to warn them that the bridge is out. Eleven cars swerved around him, went off into the river, every one of them dying. Here was a man who risked his life trying to warn other people. And they totally ignored him and it cost them their life. And let me tell you, all down through the centuries, God has sent His servants to warn others. For you, it might have been grandma, or your mom, or your dad, or your Sunday school teacher, or your pastor, or whoever it was. Someone tried to warn you. God tried to warn you. 27 books in the New Testament. Think about that. Imagine going 27 miles down the highway. You have those mileage post markers. 27 miles down the highway, and 234 times in that stretch, you see a big sign there that says, stop, turn around, go back, dead end road, danger ahead. i got to tell you, by the time I got down there to about mile marker 26, I think I'd be slowing it down, don't you? You see, God has warned you over and over and over again of the danger. You've been warned. There's not one of you, if you attend Sunday school here or the church services, there's not one of you that can say, well, nobody ever told me because we tell you every week. Those kids that just went through vacation Bible school, they'll never be able to say, nobody ever told me, nobody ever warned me because they've been warned. And now they are accountable to God. 
The question is, what will you do? Eleven cars swerved around that gentleman right off into the raging river and and all were destroyed. Are you going to swerve around the warning signs? Somebody said, there is a dreadful hell and everlasting pains. There sinners must with devils dwell in darkness, fire, and chains. It is so wonderful to stand here in this pulpit and over and over and over again, as I often do, say for the Christian, the best is yet to come. Because it is. The best is yet to come. Whatever you're going through, I've got good news for you. Whatever you're going through, it's going to come to an end and the best is yet to come. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, the worst is yet to come. Worse than any disease that you can imagine. Worse than any disaster that you've ever even thought of. The worst thing imaginable for you to be banished from the very presence of God into a devil's hell for all of eternity. Some of you, no doubt, go to school with unsaved kids. You've, you've, you've never talked to them about the need of their soul. Some of you have relatives and friends and people that you know that have never professed Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'll tell you, you ought to leave here this morning with a determination that by the grace of God, you're not going to miss another opportunity. That you're going to go and you're going to tell them you're going to extend to them a warning just like somebody warned you. Someone shared with you the Gospel. God forbid if we stand there in that day having failed to warn them with blood on our hands, guilty of neglect, every person that crosses our path is an opportunity for us to do something and you know, a lot of times we think it's all about, all about being vocal, all about, you know, preaching the Word of God loud and clear. And as good as that is, if it's not backed up by a lifestyle, it's going to be ineffective. Sometimes the best witness that we can be is to just live like a Christian in front of somebody who's not a Christian. To show them the difference that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. Do you know Him as your Savior this morning? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died today that you'd go to be with the Lord? What an awful thought to think that we might dismiss this service and go on our way and somebody here one day have to stand at that great white throne judgment to be judged by Jesus Christ and the truth of God's Word to receive their final condemnation and hear Him say, Depart from Me and to be banished forevermore from the very presence of God. That doesn't have to happen. You can do something about that this morning. Aren't you glad that Jesus made a way out of that mess? He provided a means whereby that we can have life and have it more abundant. Will you trust Him this morning? We're going to extend to you this invitation and, 
And we beg you this morning, don't leave here like you came. Before you leave here today, I want you to put your trust in Christ in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's several of you that are awaiting baptism. Thank God for those that have been saved recently. And as we begin this invitation, Brother Kenneth's going to go, and those of you those of you awaiting baptism that have not already come before the church in that regards, we want you to just come up here and stand right here for a moment. And if you're here and not saved, you come. So we can take the Bible and show you how beyond a shadow of a doubt you can know you're a child of God. Would you do that? While we all stand.